You are listening to the Down the Wormhole podcast, exploring the strange and fascinating relationship between science and religion. This week, our hosts are... Uh, Ian Benz, Associate Professor of Elementary Science Education at UNC Charlotte. And if I were to pursue a midlife crisis, the first thing that hit my head was is I would get tattoos. My name is Adam Pryor. I work at Bethany College. If I were to live out one of my midlife crisis fantasies, it would be to send all of my children to boarding school (laughs) (laughs) and buy myself a convertible. (laughs) Kendra Holtmore, PhD candidate at Boston University, and my midlife crisis would either be uh, get an eyebrow piercing or get really involved in local theater and just audition for all the main characters and try to achieve small-town fame. Hi, this is Rachel Jackson, rabbi at Agudas Israel Congregation, Hendersonville, North Carolina. And if there were a midlife crisis that I would fulfill, I think it would be um, going off the grid entirely and just becoming a hermit with my cross-stitch stuff and just sitting there and stabbing fabric for hours on end. Uh, so, as the as the question has been to to indicate today, we are talking about uh, healthcare and particularly the issues of middle age, which is sort of the least exciting period of healthcare, is what I've decided. <laughs> right? No, no violent birth or death. Just the long static period where everything is supposed to be humming along like normal. And yet you feel worse about yourself every day. <laughs> this is totally your episode. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it does feel like I was built for this. Um, so, but it, it's interesting, right? Because like, it's hard to find a lot of information about um, issues in the middle of life because ideally things are sort of going along pretty normally. Um, and so there are a couple of things that I found that I thought were really interesting. So most of the material that you find talking about healthy aging, particularly during this period, relates to mental health more than it does physical health. The second thing that I found that I thought was interesting was that folks who tend to be in middle age seem not to go to doctors. They're maybe even worse than their own children who don't want to go to the doctor, but you make them go. But then when you hit this long middle period, you suddenly stop going as regularly. So I have another confessional question for you all. I'm, I'm just curious when the last time you went to a doctor was. I went to my GP in December. Reckon my, my stats here. Yeah, I went 10, 10 days ago. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. You guys are, I, you guys are I, I not am. a representative sample in any way, shape, or form. Not at all, because the moment <laughs> you told us before we started recording that that's what the data tells us, I knew immediately I'm throwing that out. Yeah. yeah because I'm, I've am i always been the, if I got something wrong, I call the doctor. Do you really? No. I've been, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm the opposite of that, Ian. I'm the... Oh, I... I only go... Now I, I need to I establish wait. a baseline kind of person. So that's why I went, because I... Um, I was turning 40 this year, and because health insurance is stupid, um, it worked out better that I went in December of last year rather than wait until I officially turned 40 this March. Um, So I went last December so I could get a baseline of, okay, this is what I am at 40. Plus, it was a pandemic year, so I was super stressed. So what what did I look like in a super stressed 40-year-old is kind of why I went. I won't be going this year. I don't have a GP, but I have been a graduate student with my health insurance through uh, Boston University. So I would just go to student health services and then they might tell me to go somewhere else. So I guess that kind of counts as a, a GP. I, I think that counts. Health services. But you're also um, technically just just throwing that one out there. You're not also technically middle aged. So. Correct. Yeah, it's correct, no, right? I just thought I'd throw in my throw in my uh, experience there. I do try to avoid the doctor until something urgent happens. See, so and I have been in the last year. Just, yeah. Okay. I have had some unusual 
medical things happen to me over the last 10 to 15 years that, uh, that's another reason why I'm like, you know what, something's going on. And I'm kind of like, ah, I'm not really sure about this. I, 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 now what I do is I'll send them a message to the online system and say, Hey, this is happening thoughts. And if they want me to come in, I come in. Um, just because, you know, but the running joke when I had that weird infection in my hand that hospitalized me for two days and led to two surgeries, you know, and would have killed me if I had not gone in all the guys I work out with said, Hey man, it's really good. You're a wuss. Cause if it happened to any of us, we would have been <laughs> dead. And I was like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when I kept explaining, you have no idea how much my finger hurt. And they just were like, dude, just no, it's your finger. <laughs> It does not matter. <laughs> so, yeah, because I went in is the reason why I didn't have have to have anything amputated and or end up dying. So, you know, so worth the check. Huh? So it was worth the check. Absolutely. And I've had kidney stones several times. Um, so, yeah, when stuff happens, I'm just like, yeah, that's what they're there for. I also I'm under that, I think mindset because growing up on a military facility in Germany, and even though my parents were divorced, um, I was still under my dad's medical insurance as a retiree. And so, um, there was never a cost associated with going, you know, our, my insurance was, I mean, I was fully covered with everything. And when you have something wrong, you just went. And I remember the first time I had to go to the doctor when I was in college and they asked me about, you know, the copay. And I just kind of looked at them like, what are you talking about? And it was actually, I didn't even know where to go at first because there was no urgent care for the most part. It was, if you had something wrong, you know, on the military facilities, at least at the time, it was more of like, here's the ER, here's this kind of stuff. And that's where you went. And I remember kind of suggesting that to someone and they're just like, what do you No, You don't go to the ER for that. You go to urgent care. And I, I didn't know what it was. So yeah, I mean, it was big, you know, wake up call. And as Rachel said, insurance is ridiculous. Yeah, I feel it's like the so insurance stupid. piece is the like largest factor of healthcare in middle age. Mm-hmm. Like, because I, I don't know about and you, everywhere. but and well, anything. everywhere, but but in particular in middle age, because I feel like you're you're kind of healthy enough to sort of roll along if you so choose, but also you start to get aware that like probably somebody should you know take a look under the hood and make sure everything's okay. It's like when your car hits a hundred thousand miles, right? There are just some things you probably should do. And you also go, I really don't want to, because I know how much this will cost. Maybe not everybody feels that way. I certainly feel that way. Every time my wife looks at me and says, you should go to the doctor. And I say, no, because I'm just too cheap. Right. No, I, I think I think you're absolutely right that it's it's partly our system. So it'd be interesting to see because you were you were our anecdotal evidence or our anecdotal stories kind of disproved your scholarship article that you were saying that, you know, people of this general age don't um, don't go. So I'm wondering if if it is a health insurance thing, what about countries that have universal health care, if they experience mm. the same sort of dip in activity at this particular age range? Yeah, importantly, they don't. <laughs> uh, this is a distinctly American so you know that phenomenon. Answer. Great. Yes, uh, the World Health Great. Organization has looked at that significantly, right, in terms of talking about what... Uh, what happens when you provide universal access to healthcare? Right. Um, and I think it's interesting, right? Because, like, in some ways, all three of us—I'm going to exclude you, Kendra, because you're not middle-aged yet—but um, the the three of us who are middle-aged. <laughs> um, I don't want to be associated with you people. That's right. <laughs> hey, now. Don't worry. You're going to feel good about talking about houses soon. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, like, th- there's this this element that I, I I do kind of wonder, like, are we not necessarily good representative samples across the board, one, because of education, but two, um, because of access to probably, I would assume, uh, reasonable health insurance, even if not great health insurance. If reasonable means that it costs the same as my mortgage, then yes, yes, I have access to reasonable (laughs) health insurance. (laughs) 
I, uh, we realized, and I, this was interesting to me, and this is not saying anything bad about where I used to work, but the health coverage in Louisiana was better than it is here in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Now the, the services, yeah, there's no, I'm not worried about anything. Um, but when it came to the insurance part, like the, the premiums that we had to pay every month were lower than, you know, for me and Ann on it than it would have been for here, Ann and I. Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, if we, they had a really interesting system there um, and it was called LSU first. And it was like a three tiered system. And the first tier was LSU first. And if a provider or hospital was part of the LSU first, you paid nothing. Like that was part of their system. There was no copay, nothing. Um, it, it was amazing. Um, and then you had like, then the next tier was, is that you had, they were in network and then you, you had your deductible, right. Um, and your copay. And then you had out of network deductible copay, which was obviously a whole lot more. Um, but it was just, I remember seeing that when we got down there and I was just like, Whoa, that's amazing. So even when the, the twins are born, the hospital we did it in was one that was under the LSU first system. So it was considerably cheaper than it would have been if we'd gone to the other hospital. Um, which I find fascinating. But I think one of the things that really helped me when we talk about middle-aged stuff and insurance and all those things that when I did have that issue, that infection in my finger and they weren't sure what was going on. And we were sitting in the, um, or the hand surgeon's office and they were trying to look at it. Like, we don't know what this is, but we know we have to do an emergent surgery tonight. And this was at three o'clock in the afternoon telling us this, um, I do remember Ann then having to call the hospitals to make sure they took my medical insurance. Now I'm on the state health plan, so it ended up not being a problem. But that I do recall also too either the PA or the doctor or somebody suggesting to Ann make sure the hospital that we're going to takes your insurance, right? And I, be, I, I was always shocked. I'm still shocked by that. That that's just unbelievable, right? And by the second surgery, which was in April of that year, I had reached my out-of-pocket maximum. So I paid nothing the rest of the year when I would go to the doctor. Even for PT, because of the hand. They, in fact, even the uh, physician's assistant at the time was like, well, we probably want to get you an occupational therapy. Uh, I'm not sure what your insurance looks like. And I said, well, I've, meet, I've met the out-of-pocket maximum. He's like, oh, well, we're just going to write you for a whole bunch of them then. But it was just that mindset of that's what's so wrong with our system. So, so you'll get there, go- Kendra. You'll get there. I, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've got some stories to share already about healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> My husband uh, almost went deaf a couple of years ago. And so the doctor's bills of trying to, like, get that all sorted out. It's pretty insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I wanted to to tackle one of your other points there, Adam. You were saying that, you know, why not, right? Is it um, that we're just kind of status quo um, and that at this, at this particular point in life, people focus on mental health as opposed to strictly physical health, although the two are often quite related. Um, so that, but the uh, one of the other pieces that I was really thinking about is also at this point of life, and 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 let's let's clarify. So, I just asked two and a half questions. So let me ask a third actual question and start there. How are we defining middle life? How how do you want to define middle middle life or middle age? <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a crucial question. We were, we were talking a little bit before like things started, right? Like that it keeps getting pushed older. Um, I'm going to blame the baby boomers because I blame them for everything. And I'm assuming that they just don't want to be old. So they want mm-hmm. middle age to go further and further and further, right? Like now middle age is to 65. And I'm like, <laughs> I no, just saw that. no, you're old. You're not middle aged anymore. You're, you're past middle aged. Um, I like to use 40. That's the number that I think of. And like plus or minus 40, right? But like it, there, there's something about that like statistically I am closer to death than I am closer to birth, right? And that impending move. 
that I go, that's to me where the like the middle life piece hits, which I know is not necessarily a popular answer and there are different ways to do it, but it feels very um, straightforward to me. to me like I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't say that like 65 should be the new like middle age mark but 40 does feel youngish to me like again I'm speaking as the non-middle age person in the virtual room but I think that like technological advancements people are living longer and will continue to live longer Mm -hmm. than we had previously and so it does it makes sense to me to have middle age scoot a little bit further back than the 40 mark because I just, yeah, just like a lot of um, older people I know who are like grandparents or great grandparents are, I I know a lot of people who live well into their nineties and um, you know, not saying that that's like the norm for everyone, but it's becoming more the norm. And so, yeah, I would scooch it back. It could be that I'm still fully anticipating to die by 80. Yeah. Maybe possibly this is 75. Just Adam's middle age. Right. No, no. But <laughs> so when I was looking, and, and there's a, it depends where you look. When does it start? I've seen the start of middle age be 35, 40, or 45, and the end of middle age be either 60 or 65. I haven't seen middle age end later than 65. The um, average life expectancy for the United States for men is 80 and for women 84. So I think you're not wrong, Adam, to say that you don't expect to live past 80. That's the average life expectancy of men. Your personal genetics, your family genetics, your lifestyle, all of that, of course, has an issue. But 40 is straight up, like you've literally lived half your life, right? Like from a mathematical standpoint, none of us actually know when we're going to die. But given statistics, half is done, right? And I think, and then from a female standpoint, right, our physio- our physiology, right, if, <laughs> if we're only seen of as birthing machines, um, then, then the question might be, when does half of your birthing abilities end, right? So if we, pres- if we look at what menstruation starts and say 13, rounding small, right, 13. And when does it end? 50, 55, right? Depending mm-hmm. on, depend, again, depending. So if we say 55, so it's 20 years, or excuse me, 40 years, half of that is 35, right? So from a female biological standpoint, 35 would be the start of middle-aged, half of your birthing, your reproductive life is over. So in that way, um, and, and, and that's a, a medical place, so I think 35 is also not an not an error. When we look at jobs, people aren't necessarily retiring at 60 or 62 or even 65, right? Some people are working until 70, 75. So to say, well, I'm how long is my work history? So if my work history is 50 years and I start when I'm 22, middle age isn't going to start until I'm 45. Right. So I, I think there's value in understanding when we're talking these ages that there's a lot of different lenses that we can use. And from a from a psychological and an emotional standpoint, I see middle aged also and, and not necessarily in this generation because people are living so much longer, um, really starting to kick in um, and the end of middle age where middle age ends is when you're next. When the generation before you has died. When, you know, if we're if we're looking at the natural order of things and saying, okay, my parents, my aunts and uncles, all of them, they've died. I'm next. And to me, that's one of those places that that indicates the end of middle age. Um, so that's how, uh, from an emotional standpoint, which is also why, like, why should I go to the doctor? I don't want them to find things. I don't want, I don't want that reality. So it helps you, reminds you you're not 
are that you are mortal. Right. Right. I mean, teenagers and adolescents, that's a better term, adolescents go through an invincible stage. I think in middle age, we go through um, an Im- immortal stage. Hmm. I know, I know I can get hurt, but I'm going to live forever. You know? A reckoning with mortality. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's hard. It does kind of suck. I don't think there's any other way to put it. Mm-hmm. So I started looking up like signs that you have reached middle age or what <laughs> now, people think. And note when those were written. So if you're looking yes. up, especially, oh, yeah. you know, like Huffington Post things, make sure to, when they were written. Yeah, that one's funny. The Huffington Post one that was updated in 2017. There's some pretty funny ones on here. Are, are you going to share? Like, are you just going to leave it like that? No, hold on. Uh, hair starts appearing everywhere. On your nose, face, ears, hair, reading on your, yeah, reading on your phone becomes difficult because the font is suddenly too tiny and blurry. The shed or basement becomes your favorite place. (laughs) You you begin thinking. That one dug a little too, too close (laughs) at home. That's why I read that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You begin thinking policemen, teachers, and doctors look really young. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you are obsessed with your health. You begin looking over the top of your glasses. You start enjoying naps more than ever. No, naps are a forever thing. Oh, I Except love for things. as punishment for children, right? Because they think it's a punishment, but oh, yeah, they I don't love know what naps forever. You find yourself saying what and huh all the time. Uh, you find it a lot harder to lose weight, a whole lot harder. You don't know any of the songs playing on the radio. Gardening becomes an obsession. <laughs> you develop, no. you develop little leaks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, it is. Uh, that, that you groan every time you bend any, over. That could have happened to anybody or at different times, yeah. depending on what their birthing was like. Just yeah saying anyway those are some those are some yeah i hadn't i hadn't thought about defining middle age by how leaky you are <laughs> um but i i kind of like that <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. so i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> some of those already apply though actually yeah see i told you you're on your way yeah that's fine it's better so than I, the alternative <laughs> Wait, 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 what's the alternative? Death. Death. Uh, I, I like that, that no one says, like, <laughs> youth forever. Like, <laughs> no, like nobody no, nobody so went awful. with, like, the transhumanist answer there. No. That's good. That's good. No. Um, we covered that. That's, that's, that's right. not what we want. That's not what we want. We want death. Um, so I, Which, dear listener, tune in next time when Kendra takes us on a conversation about death. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. In, in preparation for that conversation about death, um, as as we reach this sort of like um, middle age piece, right? We talked a little bit about this this idea that like mental health becomes a big piece of how people think about it. Um, and there's this uh, in a lot of the in, in a lot of research, there's this this sort of description of a longing for youth, right? A sort of almost like a nostalgia for things that you used to be able to do, but now perhaps that was no longer a good idea um, is my way of describing it. Uh, so I, I, I ran into this the other day when I was throwing Linus up in the air and I went, <laughs> did that you was a, it was a poor decision in relationship to when I did this with Henry and I didn't even like think about it. Um, and Henry was a heavier child and that made me more depressed Mm, about mm-hmm. what that experience was like. <laughs> but just to clarify, the two of them are, what, nine years apart? Nine years apart. Yeah. Were so you stronger then? I'm immortal. More physically fit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But were you doing more physical things then, like physically fit, than you are, than you are I, now? I, I'm, I'm, I feel as though, I feel like I can say that for like a 37-year-old, I am like relatively fit. I went out and biked 105 miles last weekend. Like, I feel... Yeah, see? 
I feel relatively fit. I've been cycling a lot. Like, you know, I don't feel undue in that regard, but also like, not like when I was in my, you know, mid twenties and could swing my child around without abandon, no matter what. (laughs) Well, the only reason why I'm asking is because like, for example, because of, you know, when I joined F3 and started doing boot camp style workouts, you know, when I was a kid and stuff and a runner, I never had upper body strength. So I could never do pull-ups or anything like that. Now I can't go out right now and knock, knock many pull-ups out because I'm not, you know, because of the pandemic as if I've not really worked on physical strength like I had before. But when I was training for those Spartan races, yeah, I can knock out pull-ups and that was 39, 40, 41. So I was definitely more physically stronger then than I was maybe when the kids were born. Um, so that's why I was asking, like, is it just because of middle age? Now there are aches and pains that I have now that I didn't, especially back pains, back and neck pains that you're just like, Oh, that was one of the ones I did not read off back and neck about pain. like back and neck pains. And then it also made me think too. One of the things I saw on another list was purchasing, you know, decor for your house that if you're more excited about that than other things, toys or whatever, that's obviously a big difference. Like going out um, on Saturday night, a fun date on Saturday night is like Home Depot, Target, and Sam's Club. Yeah. You know, yeah. Free, free samples. Um, or then even back. like the type so of good. bed. The free samples are back. I, I just want to... Oh, are they, no, are no. they back for you? They're not back for us. They are. They are yeah. coming back for us. And <laughs> it is going to drive my grocery bill down. <laughs> Yeah, because I can eat me some free samples. Um, <laughs> That's a middle age thing, I would say, because you're sitting there. Wouldn't I mean? Can you say what you said? It. It's gonna drive my grocery bill down. That's right. That's what I'm worried about. I don't know if that's a middle aged thing. I think that's. <laughs> or is that just a cheap thing? That's a cheap thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's a cheap Adam. Okay. You're right. That's that's just cheap Adam. That's yeah. true. That's true. Okay. In in typical Rachel fashion. Can we talk about the positives, though? Hmm? There are positives? There are positives. Are are you sure? Because I I bet I can flip all your positives into negatives. (gasps) Okay. You were just saying you're not as strong as you were before. I need my popcorn. Um... Well played on that one, Rachel. Thank you. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Remember, uh, she lifts weights. <laughs> flip it. Um, yeah. One of the things that I think really happens to people in this category of middle age, however a person chooses to identify when it starts and when it ends, is a really um, knowing oneself. And this is where I think the midlife crisis concept comes in, where a person finally realizes that they are mortal and that time is the most precious thing that we have. And because of that, we don't want to waste it. And so there's a reevaluation of life, a reevaluation of priorities, a reevaluation of self. And that transformation, that metamorphosis, I think is absolutely beautiful. And there's a sort of understanding of not really caring as much what others think at a particular age. Um, you know, that turns into curmudgeonly old men usually, but <laughs> it, it develops in a nice way early. So that, that, that for me is one of the biggest positives that I see in this category of middle age. Turn that on its head a little bit, right? Like, because that might go really poorly. In what way? As well, right? So, I think part of what goes on with that midlife crisis is exactly this sort of like self awareness that Mm -hmm. you're describing, right? But what happens when you're aware that the self you've become is drastically, drastically not what you want to be? Then you change. Or you buy a convertible. Or get right. tattoos. Or you find really poor coping mechanisms. Correct. 
like eating that's, too much that's candy. At every, that's at every stage. Well, yes. I mean, hence the poor weight loss issues. Yeah. Um, right, then that, but, but, that, but, I mean, that's I think, sort of an unhealthy coping mechanism that our society has made a joke of. But I don't – I think part of this is that, like, the the discovery of self is not inherently positive, right? It's it's a sort of neutral item, I think. Oh. Really? Wouldn't that be based on perspective, though? The discovery of like, that. yeah, I, 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 I'm with you, Rachel. Yeah, say say that again, Adam. The, the the discovery of self is not inherently positive. I think it's neutral. Oh yeah, I agree with that. Say more, Kendra. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I mean, <clears throat> it's such a personal like process, but I, I think uh, what I hear when Adam says that is that people over the course of their lives and not just in middle age, although um, sure it can like look a particular way because that's when we talk about things like midlife crisis and all of that. But people have different like practices and hobbies and, you know, life circumstances change you and you just become more self-aware over the course of your life or not everyone does become more self-aware actually. And it just, yeah, I think, um, what what Adam just said is that like you can wake up one day and realize that you're not who you hoped you would be and might also find it really hard to change into who you hope to be. And I don't know, like there's just a million factors that play into like what constitutes the self. And I guess that's maybe the bigger, more daunting question is like, what do we what are we discovering when we discover the self? Um but I just think that, uh, yeah, like to be satisfied with the self that you discover probably has a lot to do with things like a healthy support system and financial stability and, you know, like meaning making uh, processes that are, you know, accessible to you. Uh, and And that, I mean, those things aren't like what we typically consider to be an inherent part of the self, but they, I think, make life a lot easier for us to become our best selves. And and so, yeah, it's just, it feels like a really, like life is complicated, discovering who we are or creating ourselves um, the way that we want to be is just, yeah, it's a real mixed bag for people. And so it feels really intuitive to me that that, that does um, th- that it is a neutral process because it can be it can look very good uh, for some people and very bad for others, and it's wrapped up in all of these like social factors too. And some people just don't have a lot of control over those things. And what they do have control over, well, yeah, I guess that still it, that still brings us to a conversation about like you know it's it's not what. It, it's not about like what you can't control, but it's about like the attitude you have towards the things you can't control, like little mm-hmm. quotes mm-hmm. like that about, you know, who you are or who you're not. And uh, yeah. So anyway, I just find that a really intuitive way to talk about like self-discovery. Um, what does that not feel? I'm curious about what what you guys are thinking, Rachel and Ian. Go ahead, Ian. I think the way you said it was a lot nicer. I'm just gonna say it, so it you makes feel better it about like, the way Kendra said it. I do, I do, <laughs> because I I feel like it still gets the way I was thinking of it as a perspective thing, right? It's how you approach it, um, and and I think that shifts depending on what stage of life you're in, and also can just depend on the day, you know, or the moment that you're experiencing something and. So I guess over time it could average out as neutral if you look at it that way. But wrecking. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so one of the things that you know that I uh, this helped a lot with, like all of the mindfulness meditation I've done, is to really focus on which I just hit one year daily last Friday. I was very excited with that ten percent happier group. Um, But is that. And I still, so we're still a work in progress, obviously, but recognizing what I can and cannot control and to 
learning how to let that go is tough, right? So um, I think by the fact that I'm getting better at that than I used to be, that would make it, I think, uh, things more positive because I'm recognizing what I have control over. But if I'm in a foul mood <laughs> or struggling on that day, it doesn't matter. It's, yeah, it will be a negative you know, perspective. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to add that, like, what I just said, I, I could see how maybe it sounds like a little bit deterministic of like, oh, what what's around you makes you who you are. And I do think that's true to an extent. But also, like what you're saying, Ian, the personal practices we have to try to, you know, like create ourselves or however you want to phrase that. It's it's a matter of practice and like determination to some extent that, um, yeah, you, you you might not feel the same every day and that's okay. I don't think that really like changes your like fundamental being. It's just that like we, I think humans, we have practices for ourselves. We participate in rituals. We have community and support systems because that, those things do create a boundedness around who we perceive ourselves to be. And we we each have many different roles in our families and friends and um, communities, and that those are all ways uh, that we that we do like f- derive a sense of who we are. And some of that's like aspirational, you know, like if you strip that all away, like what how would that make you different than who you are? in your role as like teacher, pastor, mother, you know, all of these things. So it's just like a really, it's a really difficult question, I think, to to answer without thinking about the things we do to practice being ourselves <laughs> in the forms of, you know, practices like meditation or attending mm-hmm. that like a Bible study group every Sunday or uh, showing up to class uh, to teach every week, you know, things like that. So... I just wanted to add that Rachel has a very quizzical look on her face. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, total parenthetical tangential aside, I think everyone needs to to go through active listening and assertive speaking training. So I hear what you're saying. Um, <laughs> I think I'm coming at it from a very different place, from a place of, I think, Adam, you said status quo, right? That's that's one of the characteristics of this time of life is status quo. And when I compare that to other phases of life, say, if we look at right, post middle age, what happens after middle age? What like what happens? What how are we how are we calling that old elderly? Right. I, I it depends. And then there's medical terminology of elderly or older or frail, all of those different fragile. Right. These are all medical terms that can be used in those ways. But if we say elderly right, or old, right, you have middle age and you go to old and you go to elderly. <clears throat> old and elderly are uh, in our society, because that's the one that we can really speak to, are categorized often by the decline of the body and the re-evaluation of the self outside of a profession. Whether that profession was raising children or having a career or whatever it was, right? That there's there's a shift in our culture of, oh, now you're retired. And that's that's a very big shift in our human doing, our productivity, our you have to. So our society is very surrounded around that. So I think older and elderly are really looking at redefining the self outside of a profession and in terms of the body, right? The body itself starts to really decline in those points. Youth, adolescence is categorized and for me looked at as um finding yourself within society like wh- pushing the boundaries where is authority how do i fit in f- how do i fit there like i i'm knowing mostly who i am but it's an age of exploration this status quo is a 
I've established what my career is, more or less. I've established more or less um, at least a partnership or not a partnership, a child, like uh, rearing children or not rearing children, that there's a, these things are not necessarily fully brand new at this point, right? Most people don't say at 50, now I want children when I didn't want them for the last 30 years. It could be a, oh, shucks, <laughs> now we have another, <laughs> right? There, I mean, it's not saying that it doesn't happen, but that it rarely at that stage of life, is it a, yes, this is what I want, and I've never given it any thought, right? That it's a status quo, which allows us to then, in a slow, methodical, or not even methodical, but in a in a status quo sort of way to say, is this who I am? And I think, that, and and I will, I will very much say, and I really appreciate you pointing out, Kendra, that this is coming from a point of privilege, right? That this is most definitely coming from a a place of privilege that I didn't earn. Some of it I did, most of it I didn't. Um, and that there are people who don't have the privilege to have that mm-hmm. conversation of self, uh, which is one of the the markers of modernity as opposed to pre modern era, right? They did they didn't have this luxury. Um, work for 15 hours a day, six days a week. So having said all of that, I come from a place of this is our time to just sort of slow down and figure out what, what, not what we're trying to reclaim, which is what I think you were trying to look at, Adam, but how to rehone who we are. And even if it's a, even if it's a 180 from who we are, it's a, I can now confidently say at 40, I am an introvert. I am not shy, um, but I'm definitely an introvert. I am a low energy person. I am a particular food eater, not picky, but I like what I like. <laughs> I'm not going to change that a whole lot. And it's okay that I like blue box mac and cheese, and I'm not going to apologize for that. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. I'm not going to feel bad about who I am or my choices and feel like someone's judging me. And I think that's that's the recognition of self that has nothing to do with my role as a clergy person, as a spouse, as a parent. It's a, who am I? What do I like to do? What are the things that make me happy? Not my mood. And if you'll, if you'll allow me the ability to make one more analogy, one of the things I hear you saying, Ian, is really like weather. Today's weather. How do I feel today? Right? And that's weather. Right? Today, like, it was 105 degrees in Billings, Montana yesterday. That is absurd. And it snowed in Texas. And that is absurd. Right? The weather is the daily changes. But the climate, that's what we're looking at now. And I'm saying at this point in our life, this is when we can recognize the climate. Is it changing? Can we change it? Do we want it to change? If so, how? Right? Cooler Texas sounds great. Hotter Montana, not great. Warmer oceans, bad idea. Poor little sharks. Um, heard a whole story on sharks and being in oh. mermaid purses and stuff like that and how warm oceans are making them die. Um like that that would be the negative but i think inherently it is good i think inherently and and that's where i'm saying it's not inherently neutral i think it's inherently good to look at oneself in the mirror and say this is who i am and i'm good with that so that that for me is the positive because uh, we're not focusing on developing the career rearing the young worrying about our bodies again speaking from a place of privilege If you're good with it, it's the person who looks at it and says, I'm not, and there's no mechanism to change that I look at and go, that's a, that's a different sort of notion of what self-discovery is. Why is there not a mechanism to change? That's what I don't understand. Privilege. 
Can you say more? Yeah, I, I want feel you to like I'm being dense. One, buddy. No, I, uh, so <clears throat> we, we do it this way. I'm Joe Trucker, and Joe Trucker has woken up at 45 and gone. I've spent 20 years of my life driving truck, and I'm not sure that I believe that I've actually done anything good in the world, and I would like to do something good in the world. And I have no savings by which to change the structure of the day-to-day grind that I find myself in. Mm-hmm. That is not a moment of self-discovery that I would say is inherently good. Disagree. But I think that's because you assume the structure of knowing the truth is good. I do assume that. And I do not. But you you are also, Adam, I feel like with the example you just gave, you're still not fully in that person's perspective. No. The example you gave. You've not, you've not lived that perspective, so you do not know. So that's the, 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 to me, it sounds like, and so I want to push back a little bit on that. Like, I see your point, Adam, with that example, based on my perspective, I would, I would potentially see that the same way, but based on a person who's lived that entire life in their perspective, I don't, I don't, I can't say how I would see it. I think if, we, that life. if you can't say how you would see it, I also don't think you can say self-discovery is inherently good. But I, I see what I, the problem that I have with your analogy is that um, you're basing that on a person's profession. That person could then say, yep, I am a trucker and I feel like I haven't done anything good in the world. Now let me go be a trucker for a company that I feel does good in the world. Or now let me take this time that I have because I might truck 60 hours a week, but I have two hours that I can give. And I'd rather do that because this is a lack that I feel and I can do something about that. So, so the, the profession might not change, the situation of having savings might not change, but that self-discovery can be a very positive change. But, but I think can and is are two different things. It can be a positive change. There is no try, it, only do. <laughs> like, but <laughs> will it you. be is, is, is also a, is, is part of what I would press back on there. And why yeah. I would call it neutral. Okay. Yeah, I, I was going to also reflect that I think that Adam's um, hypothetical, it's not that the hypothetical is always the case that like Joe Trucker is uh, going to reflect on uh, his, his himself as, you know, being like in a negative or positive position. It's just that both of those possibilities can happen and because of the potential for that to go either way, that that's where the neutrality uh, lies. I mean, I work in higher ed. I'm I'm generally in favor of self-discovery as like something that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You're swaying me towards neutrality. I can can see that. Um, But but you're right, Adam. I, I I do believe that, you know, the more truth we know, that is inherently good. That I, I do. That that is more my my perspective, my worldview. Um, I do not believe of ignorance is bliss. Kind of. I I agree with that worldview. Of course, there are things that we can learn that is um, true that we may not like. Yeah. But I think when you put it all together, <laughs> I still feel like, yeah, it's better to know. When you put yeah. it all together, again, no, Adam, you can come up with an example right like. now. <laughs> yeah, you can come up with an example right now that would be like, "Oh, I'm betting he wouldn't like this," and then you tell me, and I'd get oh, mad. But then I'll, after that, I'll, I'll be leave all right. that alone. I'll let you let you yeah. stew in your optimism yeah. for a while. That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> fine. Stew in optimism. <laughs> that means yeah. it's just going to concentrate more, and I'm going to be even more optimistic. Then That's, that does That's seem to be right. how optimism works for people. It, it is. I'm sorry you don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, that was. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, well, optimistic me. Because that's who I am, and I'm not going to apologize for it. That, that's Never. okay. Um, is there anything else good? I don't know. You were the one who said you could come up with good things about about middle age yeah i mean i was i was just here to turn them over and make them bad yeah so (laughs) 
think the take no crap attitude is a good thing. All right. I'll, I wouldn't say that necessarily comes with it. Uh, <laughs> and also, it could turn you potentially, like, just to, <laughs> I feel like I'm really with Adam in this episode. I, I think so. <laughs> the, the take the no li- crap attitude is something that I am. I also am, like, starting to feel the older I get. I was actually just talking about this with my sister, who is in her mid-20s, um, and how we, like, are definitely starting to care a lot less about um, what other people say the older we get and how that can be a great thing. But it can also make you a Karen. Well, so, you know, good and bad. <clears throat> I say this for myself, too, because I I don't want to I don't want to be a Karen, but sometimes oh. it's it's hard not to be. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think what starts to, to the manager. <laughs> I think what starts to like put itself out there, right? Is, are, are these there? There's a mixed bag of what this process of reaching middle age, both in terms of like bodily health, mental health, the process of self evaluation, like do, it can take us in different directions, much like other f- stages of life, right? So, like, even if we talk about middle age as the status quo, right? Between because I liked your like Rachel, like the like curve up and the curve down, right? The like, there's development and growth and this is exciting, but also like I would never, ever want to be a teenager again. Middle age feels much better than being a teenager. Mm. I'm watching my child reach into teenagedom and going, I fucking hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Go back to being a child or skip right into being 20. But this- this no no nobody likes you right now um i say that to the cat also um but that's different (laughs) so like there's that element right and then i think you can say the same thing on the other side right like of of that like i like your distinction between old and elderly (laughs) um right like there's this element of i i remember speaking with a um very good scholar at a at a conference and um, she sort of halfway joked about, I just can't think as fast as I used to. And sort of stopped and paused and then said, no, but I really mean it. Like this, this body that I am now is not who I am, right? There's this element of like being betrayed by one's physical sensations, which in middle age, I feel like hasn't happened yet. Like you can be... <laughs> slightly dissatisfied or there's hair where there wasn't hair before there might Um, be a groan there's a groan uh from lifting things up and throwing children around but right but like in general there's there's not that sense of like bodily betrayal that can come later um but i think there is this element right and this is what i think is curious about the whole middle age conversation where it intersects with health is this this element of like an awareness of that status of old and elder of that eventual bodily betrayal suddenly mm-hmm. being around the corner, which can feel impending in a positive or negative way. I mean, the way I phrased it does not make it sound great, but I, I mm-hmm. understand that it could be phrased positively. That comes back to the mortality mm-hmm. conversation we were having earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like, like middle age is this like element of like, mortality contemplation and depending on how positive or negative you are right like waiting for the other shoe to drop of being old and elderly or of having old and elderly cut short right so i my my thinking about this has like changed since i said that i would start to do it right because we had this uh local pastor who died very suddenly um you know truck came across the highway hit him Ooh. so hard he and his 10 year old daughter died almost instantly mm. um 13 year old survived which is miraculously weird um, how long ago did that happen uh, a week two weeks ago okay um so it's this right and i'm a fairly well educated i did all the pastoral training stuff i can identify when i'm parallel processing and yet it doesn't stop that process of parallel processing, right? Like it continues to occur. And, you know, my my wife and I macabrely joked while also sort of doing the process of grieving that is part of that to say, 
um, you know, she she halfway joked that when I said like I'm you know I'm going out and riding a hundred miles, like also she's like, and then you'll never come back. That's what I think about every time you walk out the door with your bicycle, and you'll mm. get run over, or you're going to flip over the handlebars, and it's not fun, right? In the same way that like there's this like element that creeps in that like you know every time I send my pre-adolescent teen who I hope will soon be 20 um, out on his bicycle to like ride to school. I'm like, someone is going to run you over and you'll just be dead. And I feel like that is a hallmark of middle age that there is this like awareness that creeps into the way in which you treat all of these other health related concerns. Yeah. I think so. I mean, um, to share something sort of personal there, one of, um, I've always been with people who are night owls. And so um, my husband now like stays out until two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, sometimes even later. Um, that's just his personality. And it's fine for us, but I, I, it's fine for our relationship. But I, as a person and emotionally go, Oh my God, he's not coming home. Oh my God. He said he'd be home at two and it's two thirty. And ah, what is going on? And just last night, um, like I'm asleep and it's almost two o'clock. It's like one forty-five in the morning and I see this bright light in my eyes. I'm like, what is going on? He's like, I need you to get up. The car's in a ditch. And my heart just like skipped a beat. I was just like, but you're in the house, so you're okay. Like, okay, so the car's in a ditch. Like that was one of my big, that was that was a big fear. And- um, Oh. Yeah, I'm like trying to figure- But he's okay. But he's, right, but he, like, he was the one that shined the flashlight in my face. He's like, you need right. to wake up. <laughs> um, but having, confronting it in those ways, saying this is exactly my fear. And so every time you leave the house, this is what I feel like. Uh, well, I think it's that element, too, that it's like, it's not just your own mortality that's part of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's this recognition of literally everyone else's mortality exactly. and how that sort of works for you, right? right. Like mm-hmm. I, Everyone's know. going to die. Right? Like, every time Rachel's like, every time you walk out the door with your bicycle, I'm afraid you're going to die. I'm like, well, every time you gave birth, I was pretty sure that I was going to be parenting by myself. Mm. So, you know, live with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also... Like, but but it is this sort of. But you only did that three times. You do this every week. Just I know, but (laughs) I I think my level of intense fear was justified because that's a horrible process. Birthing, I mean, it's beautiful, but also like terrible. Holy smokes! On that, we uh, so while we were going through the um, classes when I was pregnant with the twins, and there were classes specifically for multiples, right? And so they were talking about. It'll have to be a C-section. Sometimes it could be emergency C-sections and sometimes there could be complications. But, and so they were trying to tell the dads that, you know, there's a chance that if you're in a surgery, uh, there's a complication that may have to whisk you out of the room, but everything's going to be okay. That's what they were telling us. And I just raised my hand and said, yeah, that doesn't work for me. And they just said, what do you mean it doesn't work for you? I said, so you're telling me that there could be a potential that for like an hour, I would have no idea what's going on with my wife who just gave birth to these two babies. And you want me to be like, oh, cool. And I just, I kept pushing back. And finally, but Anne helped me change the perspective saying that, well, honey, if that did happen, it would help me knowing that you are with our children, making sure they're okay. Right. And so the perspective had to shift for me, but I see your point on that one, Adam. I mean, it was like, you can't just say that and then be like, but it's all good. You're fine. And it made while waiting for them to give her the epidural cause it was a C-section. And so I had to wait outside of the operating room for them to do that process. And I would see, cause we had two teams of doc, you know, of nurses and stuff for the babies. And then of course the doctor and the nurses for Ann that they're all walking in and out and I'm just sitting there staring at them going in and out. And I, yeah, that, that was tough. That was, that was exciting moment. But for those few moments, it was terrifying. I mean, I, I think the intensity of those sorts of moments that you have like earlier in your life are now spread at a low level across mm-hmm. every day. Zach is never going to let me lead an episode ever again. Um, no. 
<laughs> I can't wait till we start with like the beginning of where we do stories and, and you get to tell a story and then go, okay, everyone, what do you guys think? I have no idea how to pull us out of this ditch. <laughs> and next time, we will knock on the door of death. <laughs> we're at, right now, we're approaching the door. Next time, we're just going to knock Next time, we're going right up to it. Yeah. That was my I got Zach, that's the end. I got nothing. That's, Zach, that, that's nothing. clearly the end. Knocking that's on it. death's door. Yeah. Knocking knock, on death's knock. door. Knocking on heaven's Next door? time. Next, Next time, we'll time, be knocking on death's door. We knock door. on death's door. This time, yeah. just hairs in places where they're not supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs>